Welcome to the Leadership Hour. This is Steve Adubato, where every week on AM 970, based in New York City and Lower Manhattan, we, in fact, talk about every conceivable leadership topic about communication and branding and developing your people and having difficult conversations and succession planning, and it doesn't end, which is why when I had the opportunity to write my book, uh, Lessons in Leadership, I thought there are about 15 chapters I wish I could have written about but didn't have the space for that. And my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been with me every step of the way. She's been with me. We've been working together for 19 years, and we mm-hmm. learn as leaders every day. Is that not a fact? That is a fact, and I think we need to start writing a new book. It's almost time. It's been a few years, a lot more leadership lessons. And if people are interested in learning more about your book, they could do so right at our website, which is stand-deliver.com, where they can purchase a copy. But we also have a lot of great free things up there. There's articles on communication and leadership, branding, and a whole bunch of topics. On so, the website, stand-deliver.com? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and we they, don't charge? Nope, not for any of that. We do charge for the book, but... Other than that, the articles are all free, and they could also link right to this podcast if you're listening on the radio. Of course, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes and Google Play, but if you're driving and not sure, you can just go to stand-deliver.com, and you could also follow us on Facebook, Steve Adubato, Ph.D., and that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, as well as on Twitter, Steve Adubato, to just hear all the great things that we're up to. By the way, um, Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba here, Brian Bordeaux in the studio. Brian, you're the witness. Every time I've ever said, Mary, I'm thinking about writing a new book, right? She has said, oh, come on, not oh, again. Oh, I didn't say I was no, going to no, write no, it with no, you. No, no, no. I didn't you say cannot, I'm writing this one with not, you. I said it's you, just time for you to write a new great book. Great leaders don't back down. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear her say, it's about time you write another book? Yeah, I, I think she actually yearns for a new one all the time. And she's just kidding. Well, here's the thing. I've been thinking about it as well. Nice. It's going to happen, mm-hmm. and we're going to write it together, and Ooh. then you will, as always, hate me at the end yes. of the process. That's usually about when I quit, and then I just come back on board, and you give me more money. <laughs> so it's worked out really well for me in the past. And by the way, Mary, you'll be writing a book on negotiating, getting more money from your boss every year, um, and <laughs> demonstrating how valuable you are. But in that spirit, uh, the Leadership Hour is all about not just what we have to say about leadership, but more importantly— Every time you join us for the Leadership Hour on AM 970, as well as on the podcast, we have a terrific leader, someone who's working at it every day, someone who is in the trenches and, frankly, understands leadership from a perspective that Mary and I do not. And this show is no exception. It is our honor and pleasure to introduce our friend and colleague, Amanda Mullen, who is Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at New Jersey Resources. Amanda, how are you doing? I'm great. Good morning. Good morning. As you can tell, Mary and I have a lot of undercurrent of, we're positive with each other, but there's a lot of unstated things. After 19 years, you have a lot of that, you know, we finish each other's sentences and But Amanda heard you say that you wanted me to write another book. Amanda's not asking me to write another book. That's another story. Um, (laughs) Mary, I'll talk to you after and help you negotiate. Thank you very much. By the way, I have a feeling Amanda's a great negotiator, Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) We've known her for years. She definitely is a great negotiator. Let's disclose a couple things. Together with Amanda and her terrific human resources team, really, they're a people development, leadership development team and so many other things at New Jersey Resources and our good friend Larry Downs down there. They are one of our major underwriters of this series. Amanda, you work at Leadership Development every day. We, in fact, conduct a Leadership Academy together with you and your colleagues where some of the high potential folks get coached, et cetera, et cetera, and a whole range of leadership topics. But here's our question for you. What is the connection in your mind between being the chief human resources officer and being, frankly, the person more than anyone else 
who's responsible for A, developing leaders in the company, and B, recruiting them, and C, keeping them? Loaded question, I know. Go ahead. Well, let's see. Let's start with developing leaders. What's the role? So at NJR, I look at adult learning or development as we call it a 70-20-10 philosophy. This is something that's well-known, not an NJR speak, but basically 70% of learning takes place on the job, 20% through mentorship or the relationships that you've built that can help coach you and provide advice, and then 10% through formal training. And so I think that some of our leaders here in the past have thought all of the development comes from a training class. And so we've worked really hard to have a more holistic view of development that's owned collectively from both the business leaders and from the employees to ensure that they're continually learning new capabilities that will help them grow both personally and professionally. Stay on that before we go to the other parts about recruiting and retaining. We're on the phone with Amanda Mullen, who is one of the top human resources officers you'll ever find in any corporation. We work with her on a lot of issues, a lot of leadership issues. So my question, Amanda, is to what degree do you have to coach and mentor leaders in your organization to coach and mentor others, or is that some sort of natural thing? So we spend a lot of time doing that. You know, feedback isn't always the easiest thing for leaders to give their direct reports or vice versa for direct reports to communicate their concerns to their leaders. So we spend a lot of time working on giving constructive feedback, getting people to deal more honestly with each other, and to look at feedback as really an intent to help them improve their relationships down the road. So we spend a lot of time getting people to deal straight with each other for the betterment of themselves and the company. Do you think that's against human nature, giving constructive, difficult to hear, but incredibly important performance-related feedback? Is it against human nature for many? I think for many people it is. NJR is a wonderful company to work for. It's a family atmosphere. People are very nice to each other. We generally care about each other. And so nobody wants to do anything that might be interpreted as something negative. And so we've spent a lot of time coaching people to really, it's not about the fact that if you're giving somebody feedback that you're not interested in their success. It's actually quite the opposite. The feedback is worth the time and effort because it's making that individual stronger, helping them learn how they need to adjust. And then the organization and the team will be better for it. Let's go back to the question of retaining. I mean, there's some awfully talented people that I've met. I mean, you know all of them, and you and your team do tremendous talent assessment, if you will. The top, top people with the highest upside potential, what are some of the keys for you as a leader in the HR field and beyond in keeping those people not just in the company, but engaged, motivated, and being their best? We have to spend a lot of time helping people continually feel like they're developing and building skills and having the ability to learn new perspectives, be strategic, to grow in their professional career. So, you know, especially your high potentials, they want that now, quick, fast, immediate. And, you know, we're a fairly small organization on the scheme of things. There's not a lot of levels to move up that quickly in the organization. So we're very focused on how do you kind of put new skills and new capabilities in your basket that are going to be able to be leveraged by you and the organization. So it's not necessarily about when's the next promotion coming, but how can we 
continually show our employees that we're interested in their personal and professional development so that they have the opportunity to take on new critical experiences, new responsibilities that may or may not be in a ladder, for example, moving up the organization, but may create much more depth and scope of their knowledge than they would have had had we not given them that opportunity. You're listening to Amanda Mullen, Senior Vice President, Chief Human Resources Officer, New Jersey Resources. This is Steve Adubato. I'm here with my colleague, Mary Gamba. This is the Leadership Hour. Mary, jump in. Yeah, absolutely. As I was listening to Amanda, really just talking about feedback being a gift, is there a way that you found, especially being in HR, and you probably hear a lot of feedback coming to you rather than an employee saying going to whether it's someone that they report to or reports to them to give that feedback. How do you create an environment where that feedback is perceived as a gift rather than, oh, Jim just told me that he didn't like the way that I did that report and now I have to go back and do it all over again. How do you communicate in such a way that the same way that you just said to us, that it's a gift. But how do you really get that to be a culture of the organization rather than just being something that you say? So we spend a lot of time getting information from our employees. We do it through annual engagement surveys. We do it through skip-level meetings with employees. What is that? Skip a, what, was, what is it called? Skip-level? What does that mean? A skip-level. So a leader, for example, in our energy distribution organization will meet with employees that report in to his direct reports. Oh, To okay. hear directly from them, you know, what's going right, what's going wrong with the organization to get their view on safety or culture or staffing levels or overtime use, et cetera so that we have an opportunity to make sure that we have kind of unfiltered feedback in the organization. And then they react to it without kind of a pejorative point of view. We spend time, as an example, Steve, in your Stand and Deliver Academy, having employees practice presentations or sharing their ideas. And they're doing that in front of a group of employees who are giving them very constructive feedback. So we're doing what we can to set up environments where people can practice this Mm. and recognize that, you know, getting that feedback and trying something for a second time, for example, in the academy classes, by the time they've done it the second or third time, they've seen significant progress in what they're trying to communicate or the behaviors they're trying to change, which they would not have been able to do had they not gone through that process. So multiple avenues and approaches to trying to share feedback. We do a lot of surveying after meetings, after development programs to try to solicit feedback. And then we tell them what we're hearing and we address the concerns or modify the programs as a result. So they see that it's safe to talk openly about whatever's on their mind. You're listening to Amanda Mullen, who is Senior Vice President, Chief Human Resources Officer, New Jersey Resources, Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba. Brian Brodeur in the studio, the team at East Main Media. This is the Leadership Hour. Amanda, shift gears in the time we have left. Leading change. You are a change agent. You came into this organization, New Jersey Resources, to frankly lead an effort to change the culture around HR. Fair assessment so far? Yes. Okay. How difficult, how challenging is it to be a legitimate change agent, which to me is a trait of a great leader. How challenging is that when the common perception is that an awful lot of folks are pretty satisfied with the status quo, (laughs) you say? Well, I would say that fortunately at NJR, the culture is really strong. 
they don't still always want some of the HR programs pushing through the organization, I would say, to ready them for the digital age, (laughs) artificial intelligence, all of that, because they've done very well without all of that for a really long period of time. And so, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to understand our employees' readiness for change, what's important to them. We talk about what's in it for them with respect to the change, why it's important, why it's important to our key stakeholders, our customers, our investors, our shareholders. So they might not necessarily like what we're doing, but we want them to understand why it's important or a business imperative for us to modernize something or automate how it affects how we are able to attract new talent into the organization, compete in this marketplace for talent, which is extremely competitive. And then we just try to be transparent and open and listen to them and continually help them understand why we're doing what we're doing. One more question before I let you go. I've been in a fair number of meetings with you, Amanda. Mary has been in some as well. And one of the things that has always struck me about you as a leader is that while you're very strategic, meaning when you do and say something, there's an intent, you have a goal, as opposed to people who do and say things, you're like, why are they doing that? But you strike me as someone who carries a significant degree or has a significant degree of confidence in what you are saying, why you're saying it, and why it matters. Where did that confidence come from? That's clearly a leadership trait, that confidence. Where does yours come from? Wow. Well, thank you for that. I'm not sure everybody in my life would agree that I have that level of confidence. But <laughs> I I'm agree glad with I'm, Steve. It's there. Trust us. I'm glad I'm faking it till I make it. In business, I think I've just learned basically failing forward that when you fail or when you're unsure, you pick yourself up by the bootstraps and you learn from that and you move forward. And I've been able to work for some really amazing people in my past who've always allowed me to do that, to take risks, to fail if I needed to, and then help me figure out how to move forward so that in the future, I don't do necessarily the same thing. And I'm pretty transparent, as you know. So if there's something on my mind, I just talk about it and try to be an open communicator as well as an open listener. And that seems to have worked well for me. One more quickie on this. We had our colleague, Laura Van Bloom, uh, who's the head of marketing and communications at our production company, connected to public broadcasting. And Oh, no, no. Actually, it was Walt Carino who said this, the chairman of the board of our company, uh, who's an advertising, marketing, social media guru. He said, one of the worst mistakes leaders make is when they see their brand as being, quote unquote, popular, meaning they want to be very popular. He says, very dangerous. You say? <laughs> Well, if I was trying to be popular, I probably would not have gone into human resources. <laughs> because in general, those two Valid point, happen. valid. But, you know, I'm lucky in that I get to deal with employees every day. And good, bad, or indifferent, you know, what we do in human resources can make a difference in whether people want to stay with the company or not. And the confidence that they have in me or the trust that they put in me when they're talking about things they're not happy with and my ability to work with management to fix that, you know, I'm in a very lucky position that I have open employees and open leaders that really both care about each other and the company and want to do what's best for our customers. Well, you were just listening to uh, Amanda Mullen, who's Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resources, Officer New Jersey Resources, an organization 
that our company, Stand and Deliver, has had a longstanding relationship with with Larry Downs, the longstanding CEO, with uh, Steve Westhoven, who's in a top-level position right now at the company, Amanda and her team. Frankly, Amanda's right. She's never held back telling us. Put it this way. Amanda's our client. You ever think Amanda's not told us what she thinks we need to tweak, change, improve, and put on the, she puts it on nope, the table? she lets us know. She tells us what we actually need to hear, not always what we want to hear. And it's really helped us be successful in doing our jobs. Because we have had to be, as uh, I'll use the term, strategically agile <laughs> to, <laughs> to adapt. And the truth is that it's a leadership trait. So Amanda, most importantly, I just, we just want to thank you for taking the time with your busy schedule to share lots of important information and some wisdom to our audience on the Leadership Hour. All the best, Amanda. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and you too. Happy spring. You got it. Absolutely. Thank you. Can't come soon enough. So that was Amanda Mullen. This is the Leadership Hour. That's Mary Gamba. We'll come back right after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. This is Steve Adubato. That is Mary Gamba. This is the Leadership Hour on AM 970 every week. You can check us out on the weekends. We're usually at 2 o'clock on Sunday, but sometimes we get moved yeah. around because there's a sporting event. And, and I don't mind that. I love it because we get different listeners that may be on the road at different times. So it's actually a gift at that point to have some other opportunities for airtime. Absolutely. Also, I want to say that our friends at AM 970 are the home of my favorite college basketball team, Seton Hall University. In fact, as we're doing this program, when this program airs, they're about to go into the NCAA dance of 64 teams, or is it 65? I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. But it's been a great season just watching the Seton Hall Pirates and listening to them on AM 970, which is our radio home. Also, check us out on our podcast. How do people find yeah. it, Mary Gamba? It's easy enough. It's right on Apple iTunes and Google Play. If you're driving, you could also later on look us up at stand-deliver.com, where we have just an archive of articles up there, tips, tools on leadership. And you can also follow us on Facebook. That's Steve Adubato, Ph.D. That's A-D-U-B-A-T-O. And on Twitter as well, it's Steve Adubato. Let's do this. We're listening to Amanda Mullen, who is one of the top human resources uh, leaders in this country, in the corporate world. And again, one of the things that's interesting, someone will often say to me, oh, you've been doing what you've been doing for a while, meaning you do those leadership and communication seminars at your company stand and deliver that Mary runs, Mary Gamba. And I'll say, yeah, but we don't exactly do the same thing. Well, what do you mean? You do those seminars. But to the point that Amanda was raising, we get feedback all the time from clients, from others. We read new material. We come across situations. And this is relevant to leadership because it's about being innovative and changing and evolving. To what degree do you believe, and this isn't really about us, it's about any organization, to what degree do you believe it's necessary to evolve and change and not just say, well, we've got our stuff and that's what we're going to put out there, as opposed to changing, tweaking all the time? It has to be all the time. And I used to see it more as a big picture change. Like we talk about, oh, we've been together for 19 years. So it's not just, oh, over the course of, you know, almost two decades, but it's really talking about whether it's month to month, year to year. Right now we're launching a new series with our public television company. Think Tank. Think Tank. Which also is going to have a podcast version. Exactly. And, and that came from what? Think just about that. 
sometimes things come because. By the way, this is about leadership, not sure. about television. No, but, but it is about marketing and branding. And it's an interesting point that you raised because if you go back to when we had that discussion, that almost came out of a need for wanting something different. They came out of a, at the time we were trying to get you to communicate it by asking you some really specific questions of what is it that you want to do differently. Back up for a second. I kept saying, while this podcast uh, and this radio show on leadership has been a gift, frankly, and came from a series of conversations Mary and I had over many years, and then we hooked up with Brian and his team, and that's why we're here in his studio, East Main Media, making this happen. But I also wanted to do a podcast on major national policy, political issues, social, cultural, really challenging stuff. And I kept saying, I want to create a podcast. I want to create a podcast. But that's not exactly what happened. Right. And it was more of reassessing what you currently have. By the way, many of you pushed back and said, we don't need to do another thing just to do another thing. that was an example of, because one of your greatest traits as a leader is you're very entrepreneurial. You're very much, once you've perfect, not perfected, nobody gets to be perfect. But once you've figured something out and it's going well, all right, what's next? What new can we do? What is something different? And that's really, frankly, what gets us out of bed every day in the morning of having a new challenge. Because if not, not only you're going to be bored and you're not going to enjoy going to work every day, but you're also evolve or die. We often say that you need to evolve. You need to constantly look at new ways of doing things. And that's relevant for any organization, any leader, no matter where you fit in that organization, you need to do that to constantly grow and get better. And so, in fact, you'll be hearing more about this. We created the brand new series called Think Tank, yep. which is a group of leaders, uh, thought leaders, if you will, big thinkers from the New York, New Jersey area, frankly, talking about national issues, race relations, the future of the Democratic Party, future Republican Party, what the 2020 election means. Mm-hmm. Forget about the campaign, what it means for our country. What is the new green plan and what are the implications in terms of the cars we drive and are addicted to? tax policy, a whole range of things that are national in scope. So there's going to be a television program we're doing in cooperation with our partners and friends at NJTV in Newark, the public television station, the PBS station in New Jersey. But there's also going to be a podcast version of it. The reason I say that is because it's not the same job. It's evolve or die. And to that end, I will tell you, I stole some of this from someone who I'm going to argue a lot of people will not consider a great leader. By the way, Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba, Brian Brodeur in the studio. I've listened to Howard Stern for many, many years. Mm -hmm. You have listened to Howard Stern for many, many years. Howard Stern was on terrestrial radio for a long time. He was the first to make a major move to satellite to Sirius XM. Now, why is it relevant to this conversation? Because my interpretation of who Howard Stern is as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as an innovator, They have two stations on Sirius XM, 100 and 101. And we're not about promoting other radio programs. But the reality is he has a book coming out, a new book coming out. They've created spinoffs. They've got a great app where you can just get things on demand. And by the way, go back. Look at AM 970, our radio partners. Sure. I was listening to our friend Joe Piscopo in the morning. They have now cameras in the studio. They have different podcast versions of those shows. You can find on the website different clips. It's not the same radio station as Jerry Crowley and the other leaders there had four or five years ago. So whether it's Howard Stern or AM 970 or us, 
innovate or die, and that is a key part of leadership, mm-hmm. or it's boring. Yeah, and it also, we were just talking with Amanda Mullen. You at know, New Jersey at Resources. At New Jersey Resources. The head of uh, Human Resources. Yes, and she had talked about not being afraid to take risks, and that is a key to changing and evolving. Sometimes people don't change just because they're comfortable. Other times, leaders do not change because of fear. They are fear to take a risk because if I take a risk, you want to know what might happen? You might fail. And, and what happens scary. if you don't? And if you don't fail, that's great. And But even if you do fail, there's still a lesson to be learned. And you learn, you step back, you take an assessment, what worked, what didn't work. And that is one of the craziest things that I've seen. And again, as I get older and I get more experienced and just see the world a little bit differently, one of the craziest things about this world is we all have the opportunity to change. I think but many, it's a choice. It is a choice. I think many people get complacent. Many people get comfortable, whether it's in a marriage or in a friendship or at work or at school. Yeah. Same old, same old. Yeah, or is fine. it? That is fine for some people. Is it really fine? But it's not because then often other frustrations will come as a result of that. You may think, oh, well, maybe I'm not happy in my marriage or, you know, oh, I, I'm so sick of going to the same apartment every day. So change it. We have the ability in this great state and nation that we can do what we want to do. And of course, within reason, I'd love to have a shore house. I'd love to have a bigger house. But within reason, we could make decisions that will impact our future. These are leadership issues? This is leadership? It is. Because whether you're leading your organization, whether you're leading a family, you need to really take an assessment of what's working, what's not working, and not be afraid to take risks. And when you do that as a leader, then the people beneath you, again, whether we're talking employees or we're talking our children, people around us in our orbit, they will feel that same level of passion and enthusiasm about whatever the it is. And they'll start to be like, hey, if them, you know, why not me? And it does create a culture of- Infectious? It is. I believe that it is. Brian Bordeaux, as I often do, like to put you on the spot. Brian at East Main Media, he and his organization, again, help us produce this program every week. You are not leading the same organization that you led uh, a year, two years ago, five years ago, correct? Absolutely correct. I'm sorry, could you bring that microphone closer to you? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. (laughs) What is this thing, this microphone? I don't know. Uh, You're talking about a very important subject to me and my team and how we operate our company here, you know, my company, and also how we work with clients, partners such as you and your team. I've seen my business, which is 18 years old now, it's evolved at least three major times, major evolution. And as a leader, as the leader of the team here, as the company evolves and what it is, and again, we're a small business, seven people and plus a freelance team beyond that. As a leader, you have to evolve with it. And that's a huge lesson that I have learned running this company. By the way, it's interesting. So there's an organization called Tap Into. That's right. right? Describe Tap Into. Sure. Tap Into is a network of franchised websites that serve hyper-local news to communities across the East Coast, in New Jersey and across the East Coast. Yeah, and our friend Michael Shapiro, CEO there, all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, what's Brian's team doing? They're creating content for Tap Into, which was not part of the strategic plan three years ago. That's exactly correct. Three years ago, we were a production company and we were focused on that. That's what we do. That's right. (laughs) That's right. And don't tell me I do anything else. And then what happens is, does the environment and the competitive reality around us force us to be innovative? Or are you sitting there constantly going, 
Where's a new opportunity? Which one is it? Yeah, wow. Is there, necessity the mother of invention? It is. I just all, thought of that always. original question. I'm like, wow, that was that's a joke. It's <laughs> a joke. It's, I didn't think of that. Go well, ahead. Well, look, I mean, there's a lot of things to unwrap here. There's the competitive aspect where there are always people coming Staying up. Staying again. Yeah. And there's new technology that affects what we all do. Opportunity. I mean, that's an example of this podcast we're on. Could we have done this 10 years ago with the cost effectiveness that we're doing it? We're doing a radio show out of New York City here in New Jersey that's got great audio quality with a podcast distribution to our e-database. Plus, people can find it where, Mary? Oh, I'm glad that you asked, Steve. You can find it on Apple iTunes and Google Play and on our website, stand-deliver.com. Point being, the technology created the innovative opportunity. That's right. And a new audience, audiences plural, found that content. And we live in that world now. It's different than it was 10 years ago, sure. It's so interesting, but there are people that we coach in our company, Stand and Deliver, every day yeah. who say, this is my situation. I don't like my situation. I may even hate my situation, but that's my situation. So I, of course, will say in coaching them, listen, let's talk about some of the options you have to, to improve. No, you don't understand. I have a terrible situation. And I'll often try to say, okay. I understand all the things you believe you can't change. Mm -hmm. Can we now have a conversation about some of the things you could potentially change? You don't understand, Steve. It's terrible. Well, you want to know why? Because it's hard. Remaining the same, keeping the status quo. By the way, we is, talk to our kids about this all the time. Is easy. The coach isn't fair. The team is this. Nah, 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 blah, blah, blah. Okay, what can you do? You get out of any situation what you put into it, whether it's work, if it's the extra hour or two that you put in or the extra, not even time, but just the extra bit of caring. You get out of any situation what you put into it. And it is hard to change and it takes work and it's not easy. There's a lot of people out there and they just believe that they're either owed it, they deserve it. I have a degree, so I should just, you know, <laughs> hey, why am I not getting paid more? But that's I not, should be. I know. But it's harder to change and innovate than it is to complain. Complaining is so easy. So Complaining easy. is a terrible leadership trait. You don't hear me complaining much. But you know what's interesting? Think about that in the minute and a half I have left. Leaders, mm -hmm. and by the way, I will break this rule sometimes. Leaders can complain. Mm -hmm. okay. And what do I say when you do it? Wow. Wow. Okay. Which is an old school. Life we don't so, want to yeah. quote a... Not a great leader, but he it's used to do fine. it all the time. By the way, I know I can't complain too much to Mary because she's going to do the wah wah thing mm -hmm. to me, like, "Oh yeah, let me cry, you know, yeah. river for you. Let me get my violin out." Which does, by the way, I know you don't realize this. It's a leadership trait on your part mm -hmm. because it'll, it's almost like that old school commercial. I'll age myself. The guy gets smacked. Thanks, I needed that. Mm -hmm. Which we can't be violent and shouldn't be violent. But that is thanks, I needed that. Sure, sure. Because we can wallow. In our own, mm -hmm. why isn't it that our people don't understand why how hard I'm working? Why didn't that client come back? And why and, don't yeah. our people appreciate me more? Oh, my goodness. And <laughs> if you go to work every day to have people tell you how great you are and that they appreciate you, I mean, you might as well hang it up because you don't need other people to tell you that in order to be a great leader. And if you do, frankly, that's an insecurity and that's not a great leadership trait. We talk about that all the time. So the con it's interesting. So the confidence that we talk about which is a great leadership trait. The confidence cannot be predicated on who's telling you how great you are that day. The confidence has to truly be predicated on your genuine belief that you 
have the ability, the resources, the energy, and the passion to succeed and bring your team with you. Mm -hmm. Even if the team around you okay. is saying, nah, I don't know, or behind your back. I know they're talking about me. Mm -hmm. Like that paranoia. Not a great leadership trait it's as well. It's not. We're oh, you know what? They, they were doing this. we got no time left. By the way, why should people stay tuned for the next half hour of the Leadership Hour? What's coming up next? Oh, well, it depends on when and where they're listening. So I'm not well, going to name say, anything. Say they're listening on AM 970 on, on a weekend. What's oh, coming up? Oh, you mean just literally yeah, there's in the another next show. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you meant the next leadership guest. No, I no, mean, no, you just no. Don't What's know. the next show coming um, up? Yeah, so we have State of Affairs, and we just really talk to, and again, it's all about leadership in a different way. Key policies, issues facing the region. So a lot of great guests that And who hosts that, that show? Uh, Steve Adubato. What a great leader. Mm -hmm. Hey, Steve Adubato here, Mary Gamba with Brian. Brian, thank you, by the way, for your contributions to this program as well. Thanks to Amanda Mullen at New Jersey Resources. Great insight there as well. Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba, we will check you out next week on The Leadership Hour. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. This is Tracy Thompson, New Jersey's acting insurance fraud prosecutor. The state of New Jersey is making learning about and reporting insurance fraud easier than ever. At njinsurancefraud.org, you'll find tips on identifying insurance fraud and a simple, confidential form for reporting it. Report it, end it. Hi, I'm Patrick Dunnikin. At Gibbons, we believe that citizens need to be informed about the complex issues that affect their lives. That's why we're proud to support the programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation and their partners in public television. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by the law firm of Gibbons PC, RWJ Barnabas Health, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, Rowan University, educating New Jersey leaders, partnering with New Jersey businesses, transforming New Jersey's future, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, NJM Insurance Group, and by Keystone Mountain Lakes Regional Council of Carpenters. Your future is in our building. Promotional support provided by Insider NJ and by ROINJ, informing and connecting businesses in New Jersey. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. Everything you've ever wanted or needed to know about what's going on. Um, in the state of New Jersey, in the Democratic Party, and also what it means nationally. We are pleased to be joined by the president of the Senate in New Jersey, Senator Steve Sweeney. Good to see you, Senator. It's great to see you, Steve. Um, you've been on the road a lot, and you've been holding town meetings uh, under the guise of, not the guise, in fact, the Path to Progress report. We've talked about this a few months back. What is the report, and why is it relevant to everyone watching right now, Senator? Steve, it's, it's a pathway to fixing the state of New Jersey. And I want to make it clear, it's not my report. We had some of the top people in the state of New Jersey, economists, tax experts, government experts, put this report together. And I promised them if they would work hard that I would advance this report. It calls for, you know, fixing the pension system, fixing the health care system. 
pension health care savings, if we change them, could be $3 billion where we could reduce taxes. Senator, let's clarify. When you say the pension and health care situation, you mean for state public employees? Yes. Break it down a little bit. What is, we, I've asked you this before, but yeah. bring us up to speed. What is the crisis? The crisis right now is, Steve, all the money that comes into the state each year, we, we have growth in revenue every year. Every penny is going to pension and health care costs now. There's no money to invest in colleges. There's no money to invest anywhere unless you raise taxes. And New Jersey's got the fifth highest tax burden in the nation, and it's time to fix the problems rather than just keep taxing. What do you say needs to be done with public employees, who many argue have, in fact, made many concessions, including the Communication Workers of America, who I believe before Governor Murphy's recent budget address, they reached some sort of quote-unquote historic agreement on compromising regarding health care benefits. I mean, didn't they make progress already? Listen, I give, I give the CWA credit for making progress. They made progress. They don't, they, they're not where we need to be, but they actually stepped forward and negotiated. One of the things you have to understand, Steve, a lot of the, when the governor announced $800 million in savings along with the CWA, a lot of those recommendations came from the legislature last year that the administration had said, we don't believe. Mm. But I want to give Governor Murphy credit, because what he did was he went back and looked at the recommendations and realized what we were offering was real. So there's not $800 million coming from the CWA direct contracts. A lot of those recommendations were audits, looking at uh, uh, benefit managers, you know, looking at savings in all those areas. So good start. But, Steve, we need to go further. A teacher's, on average, and the state education health benefit plan, right, where a lot of the teachers are moving out of now, one teacher's family plan is $39,000 a year. And you say to that? It's ridiculous. It's not fair to teachers. It's not fair to taxpayers. Steve, the teachers, if they move to what the CWA just did, if they move just to where the CWA went, they would they would be paying $3,000 less out of pocket and have really good health insurance. What we're saying is we want to have mm. our employees have gold plants. You know what a gold plant is? What Johnson & Johnson and all these corporate uh, Fortune 500 as companies As opposed have, to? As opposed to platinum. It, how much more expensive is platinum than gold? Steve, it's, it's, it's millions and hundreds of millions of dollars. Understand, what we have here is the most expensive health care system, public health care system, in the nation. New Jersey New does? Jersey. No one's close to us. The actuarial value of the teacher's plan is 97, uh, retire plan is 97% actuarial value. Uh, we think the CWA's plan is about 86. We need to get down to 80. By the way, excuse me for interrupting, Senator. The uh, Communication Workers of America represent a significant number of state public employees. The teachers are represented by the New Jersey Education Association. Yeah. If folks are looking for a different perspective on this, go to our website, which our team will put up right now. We actually did an in-depth interview with the head of the New Jersey Education Association, and we talked about this. And let's just say he has a different perspective from the Senate president. Yeah, listen, Steve, but numbers are numbers. So they can say it's different. The state education health benefit plan, the numbers are, it was 42,000. There's been an improvement. It's down. It's to gone down. It's gone down to 38 or 39,000. Right. It's still, Steve, no one has that kind of health insurance. I'm a union iron worker. My guys pay $17,000 a year for their health insurance. They pay 100% of their health care. We, the taxpayers, are paying for $39,000 health care plans 
It mm. doesn't exist anywhere in the country. We together, everyone together needs to fix this problem. When, by the way, I want to disclose uh, something real quick. I mentioned NJEA. They are, in fact, a supporter of public television, television, a supporter of what we do at the Caucus Educational Corporation. Senator, let me try this. When you sit down with the, pres with the governor, yeah. you haven't sat down with the president yet, have you? Not yet. Okay. Thank God. Okay. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. When you sit down with the governor and you talk about these specific policy areas in terms of cutting costs, health, pension, and real tax policy. He has a different view of taxing wealthier New Jerseyans than you do. You've said absolutely not. The Speaker of the Assembly, Craig Coughlin, told us absolutely not. What is that conversation like? Other than being civil, which I know it is, what's the progress you're making? Well, Steve, we're in different places. People forget last year we taxed billion-dollar corporations. You know, our corporate business tax went up. When people say tax the rich, we actually taxed the people, the companies that benefited the greatest from the SALT program. That, You're uh, talking the, about the Republican-Trump federal tax changes increase. in 17. Go ahead. Increases for New Jersey. So what happened is corporations, C-corporations, went from 35% down to 21%. So we raised... And their tax rate. And their tax rate. So what we said is, you're the biggest benefactor of this tax cut for corporations. We're going to take some of that to help fund the government. So we did tax the wealthy. We taxed the richest corporations in the world. And you know something? The corporate business tax has far exceeded its projections. Now, the in terms of revenue coming revenue in? Revenue coming in. Now, where we have a problem? Income tax. It's, going, it's not coming in where we you need the amount of... But, okay, so, so devil's advocate. The governor is saying, let's increase... The income tax, the state income tax, on wealthier New Jerseyans, he is one of them. Yeah. And you've said absolutely not. But isn't that going to bring in, quote, more revenue to the state if we do that? No, you're going to wind up bringing in less because people with that kind of income can leave. Steve, the biggest concern, look, I sponsored the millionaire's tax six times, then I think. Then why did you stop? For one reason, the salt. State and local tax. So when the, when the so, president and the Republicans, sorry for interrupting, yeah. Senator, when the president and Republicans in Congress said, look, we are going to limit your ability to deduct your state and local taxes, your property taxes and your state taxes, yeah. to 10 grand. Yeah. What does and what did and what does that mean in a state like New Jersey? What it means is you can't write your income tax off anymore like we used to. You can't write off your property taxes. So you say you pay 30, 40 grand in property taxes. You write off 10 grand. That's, That's not even your state taxes. That's what I'm saying. Steve, myself, I haven't done anything different this year than last year with my income. Last year I broke even between state and federal. This year I'm going to pay $10,000. I didn't do anything different. I didn't leave New Jersey. So you lost. You're one of the 400,000. The numbers are here. Help me on this, Jackie. 400,000 New Jerseyans who wound up on the short end I think in their taxes. A, I got to tell you, it's going to be a lot more middle-class people than you think once they start filing. I, I can't tell you how many people I've, I've talked to that said where they've gotten money back, they are now paying. And I'm not a wealthy guy, Steve. I mean, I, listen, I, do I do well? I do very well. So explain to folks your, quote, other job. My other job, I'm, I'm a vice president for the Iron Workers International Union. I'm a union person. That's what I do for a living. That's why I can't understand why we can't get together and fix this problem. There won't be money for raises. There's not money for anything right now because all the money is going into these two pots. What does the governor say when you say that to him? Well, listen, he, you know, we just respectfully disagree in how he approaches it. He says, once we get to fully funding our pension payment, 
Then he's going to go negotiate. Can, hold on. The governor is saying, and by the way, we will have the governor just trying to work out the schedule. Once the state meets its obligation to pay into the state employee pension fund to the degree we're committed to, then what? Then he will try. He, he said, then I'm going to go sit at the table and say, now we did our share. You need to help us. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with it is it's too late. Okay. We are so deep in the hole. Listen, the governor went to Wall Street to show him his, his present his budget. And I had this conversation with the governor. I said, straight up, just two of you? It was three or four of us. And I said, okay. Governor, I give you a lot of credit for doing it because that says a lot of his commitment to trying to improve the finances of the state. But I told him, I said, it doesn't matter who goes to Wall Street. Mm. If you don't address the pension issue, which is a $115 billion issue, you're never getting an upgrade. You're never getting a change. Well, guess what? He went to Wall Street. They said, you're doing better. But what about the pension problem? Steve, in Pennsylvania, they just changed their pension system to exactly what we're talking about. What you're talking about. Yeah. A progressive Democrat governor, a Republican legislature, agreed to a hybrid pension system. What about system. the state employees? Listen. They, they agreed? They went along with it. Steve, I live in the Philadelphia media market. I'm looking for where the fight was. You know, we've been through this. You've, you've covered this. Get a couple articles in newspapers out of Harrisburg. There was no war over it. Little or no problem. Why back. not? Then what makes New Jersey so different? Because they, they you know what's frustrating? They think. You keep the, saying they. The, the public workforce thinks, because we're all Democrats, that it's okay. It's not. Listen, Pennsylvania, if you read the articles, one of the union leaders mm. said, listen, we got a Republican legislature. If we get another Republican governor, we might have some really serious issues on our hands with the pension. Mm. So we cut the best deal we could and took this issue off the table to fix got it. it. I got to ask you something. You said the thing about Democrats. So sometimes mm -hmm. the public employee unions, and then they'll speak for themselves, we'll have the union representatives here. Sometimes because people are Democrats, they'll act a certain way. You are a certain kind of Democrat. The governor, Governor Murphy, is a certain kind of Democrat. Mm -hmm. Uh, Congressman Ocasio-Cortez is a certain kind of Democrat. We just actually had uh, Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill on our sister program, Think Tank. She's a certain kind of Democrat. Yeah. Are you really on the same party for real? I know the whole Big Ten thing's going to happen. You can talk about that. But are you really all in the same philosophical Listen, party? Yeah, I think we are because there's a lot of things we do agree on. Look, with Governor Murphy, we, we, we fixed women's health care. You know, we, we did pay equity. We've done the, uh, the, 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 the minimum wage. As we speak, you're not be able, you have not been able to get uh, marijuana uh, legalized but, but, in the but state. We're, but no, but we're... As we, we speak. As we speak, but we are on the same page with that. So what I'm saying is there's a lot of areas where we're on the same page. On the same page. I am, I'm socially progressive, but I'm fiscally conservative. And I'm a Can Democrat. you be that in this party today? Well, you know something? The majority of the party, I just read an article where the difference is the social media is driving a lot of things. But it's the minority of the Democrats that are on social media. The majority are not in, in, in investing their time there. The majority are people like myself that feel a certain way that, hey, listen, even progressive Democrats are taxpayers. Public employees are taxpayers. I had a teacher last night. I was in South Orange for, at Seton Hall. A teacher came up and says, you know, I'm going to have to leave the state because I can't afford my taxes. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how much he's paying for health insurance now. I don't want teachers to leave the state. We don't want anyone 30, to leave the state. You know, just so you know, 30% of our public employees leave New Jersey when they retire because it's too expensive.
We lose all that revenue as well. Yes. We are, this is Steve Adubato. We're talking to the president of the New Jersey State Senate, Steve Sweeney. Uh, more about fiscal policy, about the future of the Democratic Party. Uh, and also, the Senate president very much wants to talk about the president, Donald Trump. We'll be right back after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. This is Steve Adubato. We're talking to the president of the state senate, Steve Sweeney, about every issue that you could possibly imagine that matters. Real quick, me uh, not medical marijuana. We're still dealing with that question as to more accessibility for those who need it. Legalizing marijuana in the state. As we do this program on the 17th of April, it'll air after. What do you say, Senator, the odds? 50-50. Uh, We're still trying to get trying to gather votes for it. You know, Steve, this is a vote where people are passionate and, you know, it's, it's trying to convince more than twist, you know, arms, trying to convince people. It's Did you right push hard? I pushed as hard as I could. You know, there's limits. And, and again, when this is a vote of conscience. You know, some votes are just voting for this or that. This is a vote of conscience. Someone people, says it's morally wrong. How hard are you going to push them? That's what I'm saying. It's hard to. You, you know, more importantly, what you do is try to convince them why. Hmm. Like when I went to Colorado, I saw opioid abuse. What sold me on this was opioid abuse went down 29%. When they legalized when marijuana? When they legalized marijuana. So for me, am I trading one drug for another? Yes, but guess what? People aren't overdosing on marijuana. So you're People convinced it's, it's, it's a good thing? I think it is. I saw young, underage drug use go down. Uh, you know, we've lost this war. People can buy marijuana whenever they want, wherever they want. And I remember five, six years ago, uh, a mother in Camden buying some synthetic marijuana and cutting her five-year-old head, head, child's head off and putting it in a freezer. You know, that's scary stuff. Not to mention the social justice aspects of this and that African-American men are much more likely to be in prison than whites who are in possession of marijuana. And Steve, and, and Senator Sandy Cunningham has a bill. From Jersey City, right? Has a bill attached to this that is probably the most progressive bill on espungement mm. in the nation, where anyone that has a, committed a crime that's espungible. Right. We passed this bill. If you hadn't done anything in the last five years or going forward if for five years, your record's espunged. Can we talk tax incentives? Yeah. A lot of moving parts, a lot of things are happening as we speak right now. Um, you've been a big advocate of tax incentives. I asked you during the break um, about the Amazon deal in New York. It's a different state. It's a different situation. But New York lost that deal. And Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio were critical of those who, in Congress and others, like uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, who said it wasn't a good deal. 25,000 $25, jobs were involved. More complicated than that, I know. Question, to what degree do you believe in tax incentives? And where are they a problem and being abused? Well. When you have Governor, Governor Cuomo and de Blasio agreeing... Which they do not often. ...tells you how important this was. The whole country was chasing that, as you know. And they landed it. And the, the lack of knowledge, first off, really, there's an education process that has to go through, because I know the congresswoman said, well, now that this is gone, we got $3 billion for teachers or transit or whatever. Was that true? No, because without the jobs, there is no money. 
You know, you need the jobs in order to get the money. And, and, and we, if you look at Jersey City, if you look at Newark, if you look at Camden, you tell me tax incentives haven't changed the world in those cities are yeah, starting I, to change. But, Senator, respectfully, sorry for interrupting. How far should a government be going to get a business? Listen, everyone talks about the marketplace, yeah. capitalism, let the free market decide, and then government gets involved and says, listen, we're going to give you a deal to come here because you otherwise wouldn't come here. Yeah. Doesn't that tip the scales? Steve, it's unfortunately what we deal with all around the country. How about this? Amazon, this is how much trouble New Jersey's in. We offered Amazon $7 billion. They went to New York for 1.5. We offered $7 billion. You know, and New Jersey did? New Jersey. We wanted them in Newark. It would have been a game changer for Newark. It would have been the same labor pool. You know, this, this is the New York market. So the jobs, you know, people would have come back, here. They would have came here. And you think it would have been worth it, even with a company. I mean, Amazon delivers a lot of boxes to our houses, I know. Yeah. Uh, my house, I know. And others. Do you think a company that rich needed those tax incentives? Listen, I didn't say they need them, but that's what—that's the way the world works. If you want to, you're bring saying what you seem to be saying is you were playing by the rules as they are. Yeah, and listen, to a perfect example: Governor Murphy just went to California to promote the film, the film tax right. credits, and you know something, and it's working. It is, and and it's a good thing. So, I don't like. Listen, I was a freeholder director in Gloucester County for 13 right. years. I can't tell you how many times businesses from Pennsylvania would come over and say. Hey, we want to come over here. We put our team together. We put the best deal together. And then we go back to Pennsylvania, see who gave them the best deal. Got it. It's life. I say President Trump. You say. Oh, my God. By the way, this is Senate President Steve Sweeney. He's the one doing the talking right now. What do you mean, oh, my God? Listen, I've never seen a, a country so divided and so full of hatred and so full of anger. He's unleashed. But you don't blame feelings. it on him. Yeah, I do blame it on him. Not alone. Well, no, no. Listen, people, listen, this was always there. You know, this is always undercover, a lot of places. You know, racism and, and hatred, it's, it's We saw it when President Obama was president. Exactly. A lot of it. A lot of it. And you know something? But it's, I guess he's brought it out from the darkness and said it's okay to be this way. What and way? Describe what that is. Just, just over the top insulting people, hurting people. And, and you know, again, for me, I, I'm, I'm a believer if we're all in it together, we're better off than you're on your own. And I think President Trump is more you're on your own. You know, two things. One, I'm curious about something. I want to ask you about 2020 in a second. Yeah. But you got into this. We've had this conversation many times. Explain to folks your personal reasons for being a public official. Well, I had a daughter born with Down syndrome. and, and uh, Lauren. Lauren. And she's the love of my life. And, you know, I love my son. I love both my kids. You know that. But... But she transformed me, Steve. She made me an advocate. She made me someone that believed that, you know, people with disabilities, there's great value in those people if given an opportunity. And everything I've done in politics is really driven to try to improve opportunities for people with disabilities to get jobs. And I tell people, and I thank you for asking, please look beyond the disability because there's a person in there that can really be a productive citizen. My daughter. At 18, got a boyfriend. You know, I remember you told me about I'm still not happy about How that. How old is she now? She's 26. At 21, <laughs> she told me she could drink. I said, Lauren, O'Doul's is my bet favorite beer, but she works at a daycare center. Most importantly, she's living such a full, wow. productive life, as full a life as she can. And what I urge people, any employers, that give them a chance because you're going to hire a really good employee. She's doing well. Oh, she's doing a bit better than me. 
Um, still 2020. Yeah. Do you have a preference? Yeah, I'm supporting Cory Booker. He's a so, Jersey guy, and and I think he's 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 where we need to be in the middle. So stay on this. You have had a very listen. We will date ourselves. Hope not too much. Yeah. Um, you have had a very close relationship with former Vice President Joe Biden. Yeah. You've worked together. Mm-hmm. Geographically close. Okay. Philosophically as well. Yeah. If he jumps into this race, do you say to yourself, wait a minute. Odds on favorite right now. Cory Booker was where he is. I need to be with the Vice President. Listen, I love the Vice President. I think the world of him, we always thought of him as the third senator in New Jersey. You know that. He was always in New Jersey helping us with things. And if Corey hadn't jumped in the race, absolutely would I be. It, Joe Biden hasn't yet. As I, we are speaking. As we're right. speaking, he hasn't yet. <clears throat> if he I, does, it's not going to change it? It can't. I what do you mean my, it can't? I made my commitment, and I believe in Corey. But is it I, a question listen, of who you think Corey, is going to beat listen, Donald Trump? No, no. If Corey wasn't in the race, okay. I, would, I would jump with Joe Biden tomorrow. What about a people who talk about the only thing that matters should matter to Democrats is, quote, beating Donald Trump? I agree. And you believe that Senator Booker, yeah. former mayor of Newark, has the best chance of beating the president in 2020? I Listen, I think he, uh, Joe, Joe Biden, represent the part of the Democrat Party that I'm from, which is we're in the middle, which is where 80 percent of us are. Mm. And, you know, it's not, look, I'm prag pragmatic. You, you know, you, you don't always get everything you want in life. And what I see with the progressives is if you don't get everything the way they want it, they get angry and they primary and fight with you and everything Does else. Does that bother you? Well, it bothers me because, listen, they have a right to do that. Of course they, they, they absolutely have a right to do that. what makes this country great. But it doesn't make us stronger. Who's and us? Is it the Democratic Party Dem or the country? The, the Dem listen, for me, it's the Democrat Party. Uh, look, the, look, the Republicans have the Tea Party. And that doesn't make the Republicans. You mean extremists? Right. Yeah. So you have two extremes. And you get the 10 percenters on both ends. 80 percent of us really are in the middle. And our country would be better served from the middle than from all the way on the left or all the way on the right. I think really because you connect to more people, we need to pull people together, mm. not divide. And right now, we're a divided country. Are we a divided state? No, not, not, well, sometimes. You know that sometimes people look at South Jersey and think South Jersey doesn't belong in New Jersey, as, as you, you say. Know. I say. I still live in New Jersey, and I'm proud to live in New Jersey. I love New Jersey. 30 seconds left. You, you've always been an optimistic guy. You're optimistic about the country? Well, I have to be. There's only one way to go, up. In spite of the political discourse and the presidency right now? Well, I would like to see them try to bring back some civility. Look, even when we disagree in New Jersey, we work together. You've been listening to the president of the state senate, Steve Sweeney, and um, we thank you for joining us, Senator. Thanks, Steve. We wish you and your family, particularly Lauren, all the best. Thank you. I'm Steve Adubato. Catch you next time. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 30 years of broadcast excellence. Funding has been provided by the law firm of Gibbons PC, RWJ Barnabas Health, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, Rowan University, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, NJM Insurance Group, Keystone Mountain Lakes Regional Council of Carpenters, 
and by these public-spirited organizations, individuals, and associations committed to informing New Jersey citizens about the important issues facing the Garden State, and by Employers Association of New Jersey. You may not have heard of TAVR. Raj and Sandhya have. It's the minimally invasive alternative to open-heart valve replacement. RWJ Barnabas Health is New Jersey's leading TAVR provider, and we continue to perfect it. Patients are often back to their lives in just a few days. Innovative valve replacement surgery, because you can't be replaced. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together.